Why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter two as we take our uh, Wednesday night uh, through the Bible study and we draw a small text from that upcoming Wednesday study. So we're gonna look at uh, Jeremiah chapter two and this might be kind of considered a second part or part two of what we began last week. Uh, And I'm gonna kind of loosely tie them together. Um, You know, uh, last week we saw that the the people of Israel had had, uh, committed two evils. They forsook the fountain of living water and they exchanged it for broken down old cisterns that didn't hold water. And that was the imagery Jeremiah used to say, man, you guys have left the fountain of living water. And we saw that that is the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the living water and anybody that drinks of me will not thirst. And we talked about how Jesus satisfies the soul. Now, I have to say, that's a wonderful thing that we learned last week. But it's an interesting perspective. One of the things I think we might have to really watch out for in our culture today is being all about our own blessing, our own comfort, our own uh, health and wealth. Uh, And there's some churches, you know, that's all they ever talk about is your health and your wealth and your victorious living. And it's all about you. And I I would watch out for ministries that kind of make everything all about you and you being victorious and you being, you know, it's funny because when you think about it, um, this victorious living that some of these guys are always talking about, half the Bible characters would have failed that test every single time. You know, a lot of those guys would have been considered, wow, they're not victorious uh, as Paul gets stoned to death, dragged outside of the city and left for dead. Uh, That was a tough day at the office right there. Uh, He wasn't dead, so he came back in beaten and bloodied and started preaching again. And Paul was all used to that stuff. I mean, imprisoned over and over. Uh, He was shipwrecked multiple times, bit by a viper snake. Like, uh, you know, the mission field for Paul was not an easy thing. In fact, Jeremiah himself would be a guy that not one person would listen to a word he ever said. In 42 years of ministry, that's a tough gig right there. Um, But he just kept going, kept plugging away. We'll see that in our study. But, you know, this idea of God being there for us, like he's our little genie in a bottle, and we just go, okay, I get my three wishes, right, Lord? But um, what, if, what if you had faith in Christ and nothing good ever happened to you? Would that derail your faith? Well, I'm afraid there's some people that they almost get saved seemingly, or, or you know, if they even call it being saved, uh, you know, just for their own blessing here and now. We have to remind people that salvation that we're talking about when you hear the gospel message is about heaven and hell. And what you wanna be saved from is eternal death and hell. And you might have a miserable, horrible life on this earth, but guess what? Uh, if you're a believer in Christ, you have heaven eternal to look forward to. And, and see, you know, this prosperity gospel that we so easily believe and you know, we think that it's all about us and living victorious and all this stuff. Um, the problem is with that is there's a lot of people on this planet who are not living victoriously. It's easy to, pre- to preach a prosperity gospel to people that are prosperous, like people in the United States. It's a little tougher to go out in the middle of the desert, like I've been there in you know, Burkina Faso, Africa, right on the edge of the Sahara Desert there with millions of people living in you know, uh, you know, Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. And uh, that, that is not a place that people are living victoriously. It's 120 degrees at 5 a.m. when you wake up in the morning. And it's just dry mud huts with roofs that are made out of like weeds and stuff. And if the crops are bad, people die. Uh, in any given year, and the disease is rampant. And it's just a hard, hard life. But I love that the gospel is somehow purer in some ways there because they're not looking for salvation, you know, that they'll drive a you know, fancy car and have a big fancy house and they'll you know, be in great shape and uh, their health and their vitamins will be off to speed and their financial checkbook will be balanced. None of that's part of their lives. But these are people who love Jesus and they have the hope of heaven. You see, we in our prosperity, it's all about us. And we gotta get away from that. That's not really the gospel. Now, if you happen to be blessed, praise the Lord for that. You know, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord and we can applaud the good things, the grace that God has given us. No question, we should be thankful. And we as Americans should be deliriously thankful with all that the Lord has done for us. But, but tonight I'm gonna kind of continue talking what we talked about last time. They, the, the people of Israel forsook the fountain of living water where they could have been refreshed. But tonight's message is similar, but it's from a different perspective and it's not about me. See, the other ones are kind of, I'm thirsty. 
<clears throat> I, I, I'm trying all these things in life to satisfy my thirsty soul. And if you drink of the fountain of living water, you'll, you'll never thirst again. I love that. And that's an important teaching that we did last week. But what about, what about us not looking at ourselves at all? What does Jeremiah have to say to the people of Israel? And it's less about them and it's more about the Father in heaven. And I wanna show you just in a single little verse, something that kind of catches my eye uh, and it's sort of the other side of the coin. Single verse, you might think, Brett, why are you using this verse? I'll show you as we get going. Uh, And we'll look at this whole chapter on Wednesday and see it all in context. But it's chapter two of Jeremiah, verse 32. Jeremiah 2, 32. Jeremiah speaking the word of the Lord and sort of in a rhetorical sort of method, he says this in Jeremiah 2.32, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Again, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. I love the Bible. You know, the Bible is so good because it gives us the whole story. There's nothing that the Bible lacks. Daniel Webster said this, if, if we are able to abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we and our prosperity neglect its instruction and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury our glory in profound obscurity. Wow. Daniel Webster, I think he rolled over in his grave last week. Do you know why? One of the senators, you know, that was quizzing for the Supreme Court justice um, chided against the Supreme Court justice nominee by saying, I can't believe you used the term sexual preferences. And she just got on that, you know, the candidate just, you know, you can't believe you used the word twice, sexual preference. Now, what's interesting about that is, um, as it turns out, um, the word sexual preference was used by Joe Biden. It was used by the gay and lesbian, the most popular gay and lesbian magazine uh, a week earlier. Like it's uh, suddenly the senators making up this thing that saying it's a preference is actually a derogatory term. And so, you know, uh, the senator from Hawaii kind of sanctimoniously scolded, and it was a little painful. Well. Some people that were watching it in real time, they, they thought, well, well, what is sexual preference? Is it really derogatory? So people started looking it up right then, like in real time. And as they were checking Webster's online, Webster's dictionary had one definition that was not derogatory. And then while the whole conversation was happening, some little minion behind the internet was able to retype the definition for Webster's Dictionary and change it to be a derogatory term as it was happening in real time. And they were caught red-handed, changing the definition. So as it turns out, you can't trust Webster's Dictionary anymore for a definition um, because they're just changing stuff as we go and making it fit their narrative. And that's, that's a little troubling. I love the Bible because nobody's gonna change this. This word is solid. Um, by the way, I think that's why we should stick with maybe paper. Uh, and don't just go with your iPhone uh, on your Bible. Uh, I like a Bible that stays the way it is. Um, it's not some little minion is not hiding behind changing my Bible for me. Um, but, but all that to say, uh, man, we're living in kind of corrupt times uh, to say the least. But I love what Daniel Webster, I think that's why I'd be rolling over in his grave because this is exactly what, what, what the Webster's Dictionary is doing. Daniel Webster said, if we start doing that, it's gonna bury this country in profound obscurity. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? Because in Bible prophecy, and I'm way off course right now of what I was gonna share. So I, um, in Bible prophecy, um, the United States isn't even mentioned. Like all the other nations, China, Russia, Turkey, Iran, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, like they're all mentioned, but for some reason, except for maybe in Ezekiel chapter 38, there's a light mention of the young lions that are linked to uh, maybe England, but it's a a reach to say the least. 
And all they do, the young lions sit there and say, you shouldn't have done that. And that's all they ever did. Uh, there's nothing, it, it, it makes me interested in maybe the future of our country and what we're sensing in 2020 as a nation and as we're seeing this election and the division, um, even threat, I've, I've seen and heard threats of things like civil war in this country. Uh, people are talking about that. Can you imagine if that really happened? If there was real civil war? Um, the reason I, I, you know, sort of get a little bit troubled by that is I, I'm somewhat of a student of history and, and I, I love studying about the Civil War. The American Civil War was, was horrifying. But um, if people think it's gonna be better because it's modern days, I think they have another thing coming. It's amazing how the memory of war is soon forgotten and people are quick to go back to it. Um, but be that as it may, I love studying the Bible because we hear the word of the Lord. And, and so as we saw last week, those who, who were, had forsaken the fountain of living water, that's them missing out on refreshment, life eternal, living water, satisfaction. Um, that's them missing out on that. Today, we look at it from the perspective of God enjoying us. You see, tonight we, we ask the question, does God enjoy us? Well, does, what, what does God enjoying me have to do with anything? Did you know? that the Jews here in the, in the Jeremiah's day was, uh, they were called the wife of God. And so this imagery of the, the bride wearing her gown and her ornaments, we'll talk about what those are in a second. The imagery there is saying, don't you remember that God is their husband? You should try to look good for your husband. That's the idea. Uh, dress up, you know, take a shower, uh, you know, uh, put on a, something nice uh, because he's God and we are to please God. Now in the New Testament, you and I, while the Jews are called the wife of God in the Old Testament, you and I are called, the church of Jesus Christ is called the bride of Christ. So we have a different relationship as Gentiles in the modern day church, we're called the bride of Christ. And so from time to time as a church, we have to look and sit back and say, are we dressed for the occasion? Are you, now this is hard for some of us guys, you know, you know some of you girls, you've been thinking about your wedding day since you were four years old, some of you. Most of you guys, you were thinking about your wedding day on that afternoon. Oh, what should I wear? Uh, oh, we were supposed to get a tux? Oh, my bad. You know, it's like, it's like, we don't really think about that as much. So guys, you gotta jump into, uh, say yes to the dress with me tonight. Just, you gotta kind of get in that mindset of weddings and beauty and uh, stuff like that. So help me out, guys, you can do this. Because, congratulations, guys, you are called the bride of Christ. Um, so when the bride doors are opened, when Christ sees his bride, what does he see? Here comes the bride. Or is it, no, or better, uh, better. Is it in a minor key? The, the Here comes the bride song when we see you. Ah! Is, this, is this like, this is the bride? See, see, I love the, what Jeremiah is doing. Last week he was saying, you guys are missing out on the refreshing life of spring of living water. But tonight at this section in chapter two, he's saying, you need to be thinking about, are you pleasing to the Lord? It's not all about you. It's about you pleasing the Lord. By the way, wise is the person that gets this. The book of Revelation chapter four tells us that you and I were created for one purpose and it wasn't for victorious living or being wealthy and healthy and wise. The reason you exist, you were created for his pleasure. Rome, uh, Revelation chapter four, verse 10 says that we exist, we were created, thou art worthy, O Lord, for glory and honor, and thou hast created, all things were created, you know, by him and for him, for his pleasure is what we're told there in the book of Revelation. So the big question, uh, the people, why do I feel so unfulfilled in life? It, it, it has to do with them not understanding what really fulfills one's life. It's not being wealthy or having the great career or you know, having a successful you know, job or family or any of that. It's, it's are you pleasing to God? Is your life pleasing to God? Now, if you're living for yourself, good luck. That's the quickest way to depression that I can think of. Just live for yourself. Think about yourself, focus on self. Uh, and you'll be just uh, really miserable. That's a guaranteed road to depression. But the Christian, wise is the Christian that gets this. I exist to please God. So whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing that is pleasing to God, 
Well, that's, that's the imagery Jeremiah is trying to talk about. He's talking about the bride. In fact, there's two words here that are kind of interesting in the Hebrew text. Uh, when it says here, uh, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride, her attire? The two Hebrew words, one for ornament, one for attire. One speaks of sort of the dress, but the ornaments, some people say, well, that's jewelry. In fact, I think some of your modern translations even translate it as jewelry. It's, 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 it's something that you and I don't even really think of uh, as much. But the Middle East, they still have the same word. And it, it has to do with a sash. Uh, it's like a sash, but it's a beautifully ornamented sash. If you could almost picture like some of these, you know, exotic brides from the, you know, the Middle East, you know, and picture her in a white, beautiful gown, but then this very beautiful tapestry uh, of some kind that was expensive, like that was the most expensive part of the dress. By the way, the average bride spends $1,500 on a dress today. That's average. $300 for hair and makeup and in addition. And that's average. It gets closer to 5,000 and 1,000 if you go to the upper end of that. I looked it up today on Google. Uh, you said, Brad, how, how do you know this stuff? Checked it out. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's so funny how people get so into the dresses, but, but at the same time, you know, when you stand before God, are you robed in white linen? You see, here's the thing, this imagery, guys, this is where you and I can get past the, the bridal stuff, you know? And that is, it's an imagery, it's an analogy of, of really something that's spiritual. When you're dressed appropriately, you'll be robed in, in fine white linen. And that's the imagery of the Bible. And white linen speaks of purity. It speaks of righteousness. Are you dressed appropriately? See, this is the question that we're gonna ask about how are you dressed? Do you look right as a Christian? It's not about you. It's about you and your life pleasing God the Father. Now, um, you know, I probably shouldn't go into all this, but um, I love the Bible uh, talks about itself in several uh, analogies. Um, in fact, if you're a Bible student, you know the, the Word of God, probably the most famous type of Scripture is the sword of the Spirit, right? You know, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And several times in the Bible, the, the, so the Word is, is likened to a sword. That's a weapon of, of, of uh, you know, offense. Uh, when you're uh, fighting against evil, you got the sword of the Spirit. Another type in the Bible, if you recall, is the water. Water is both a type of the Holy Spirit, but it's also a type of the word. Um, you know, like it says there in John 15, Jesus said, now you are clean by the word that I have spoken unto you. Um, you know, Paul the apostle told the church of Ephesus there in Ephesians 5, 25, he said, you know, that Christ washes his bride in the water of the word. Um, and you, you got this imagery of water. But did you know that the word is also pictured? There's another one that's, that people don't know as much about, but it's talked about almost equally as much as the sword and the, and the water, and that is the mirror. The word of God is a mirror. Um, now let's reflect on mirrors for a second. Sorry. It's, it's, um, mirrors do not make images. They reflect them. You know, if you don't like what you see in a mirror, you don't need to shatter the glass, you need to change yourself. Can we agree with that? Uh, some of you are like, no, I just smashed the mirror and I think I look great. Um, if you do that, you're a little deluded. You need to understand that, you know, uh, so, so by, by looking into the mirror of the word, um, how, how do I know that? Well, listen to James chapter one, verses 22, uh, 23 and 25. It says this, anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like a man who, looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, that is the word that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You know, so you go look in the mirror and you just had a big hamburger and you're just looking in the mirror and then suddenly you realize, oh man, I got, mus I got you know, mustard on my mustache. And uh, nobody told you. There you are walking around with a big chunk of mustard. That's embarrassing. But what would you say to the person? They go, oh man, that's, that's unfortunate. And they just turned away and walked away and left the mustard on his face. You'd say, well, that's stupid. You gotta clean the mustard off. Well, that's what the, 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 you know, the, the book of James is telling you and me. When you hear the word and you see the mustard on your face, sin, uh, then you wanna get rid of it. 
But the person who sees the word of God and hears what it says, but doesn't do anything about it is like the dumb guy that didn't get the mustard off his face. You see, that's one of the analogies of the mirror uh, being the word of God. And man, we could go on and on, by the way. Um, do you remember the brass laver there in the wilderness wanderings that they had in the temple or the tabernacle? Does anybody remember? What did they make that out of? Anybody? Mirrors. Where'd they get the mirrors? Anybody? Egypt. Remember when they left Egypt? All the Egyptian women said, here, take our stuff. Just get out of here. And they took gold and silver, but they also took the brass mirror. Egypt was famous for making these brass mirrors that were polished up and they could actually see themselves in their reflection because they didn't have modern day mirrors like we have. So they made them out of brass and polished them up. So when it came time to make the brass laver, it says the women took the mirrors that they'd received from the women of Egypt and they put it all in there and, and they fashioned this brass laver. And there's kind of this interesting uh, sort of type or even picture there as they would look into the, what did the laver hold? Water. What is water a type of? The word. And also the mirrors that was made in the laver. And, and no doubt the priest, as he would come and wash, he would see his own reflection in the laver. And it's such a beautiful picture of what the word of God actually does as it washes us and we see the reflection of ourselves. Man, all this stuff ties so perfectly together and I wish we had more time. We could do the whole thing just on that alone. But, but the idea of, of this, this, um, the, the, the Bible, being the mirror, it's used several times. So the reason I say all this is because I want us to take the, the time to realize that we, we need to look and see how we're dressed. In fact, there's three things I wanna look at tonight. Number one, what are you wearing? Number two, what does your face look like? And number three, this one's a tough one, how do you smell? Do you stink? Because you know, a bride that stinks, whoo, I mean, she might be decked to the nines coming down the aisle, then all of a sudden she gets close to the... the... That's like, that'd be really embarrassing, you know, if she really stink. So we're gonna talk about that as well, because I think that's a problem for some of us. I'll tell you why. So number one, what are you wearing? Um, see, again, you gotta remember, we're not just talking about your clothes right now. Um, uh, it's funny how churches get all obsessed about the clothes people wear at church. And I've talked about this a million times, but I need to just say it. If you're new here and you're wondering, why, are, why is everybody not dressed nicely? Because uh, it's the Saturday night service. <laughs> no, 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 just kidding. No, no, because if you came tomorrow morning, you probably would see most people dressed. See, I love the liberty we have at Athey Creek uh, to dress kind of normally. And the liberty we have is not just us going against the Bible. Some of you are raised that you have to dress up for church. And I understand that. Um, the problem is that's not really biblical. You can if you want to. And I even think if you wanna just do it as an act of saying, I just like to honor the Lord with what I wear on Sunday morning, that's great. But don't make a biblical case out of that or make other people do that. The early church didn't have extra clothes and suits and ties. And the Bible actually teaches kind of the opposite, that man looks at the outward appearance, but God is the one who looks at the heart of each individual. So when we're talking about what are you wearing, we're talking figuratively, uh, spiritually, what you're wearing, because the Bible talks about that all the time. Now, we just got through Isaiah, and Isaiah 61 talks about how when you become a Christian, you know, your, your best works, before you were saved, your best works were like filthy rags. But good news, the person who accepts Jesus as their savior and is forgiven of their sins, the Lord says, I will robe you in righteousness. Man, that's the, that's the garments we need. By the way, the church is seen when Christ returns, the second coming of Christ, and 10,000s of his saints are coming with them. And what are they wearing? Fine white linen. That's the church of Jesus Christ. So yeah, that's the beautiful picture. You and I, Man, when we're sinners and we've been messed up and dirtied up, good news, man, we've been robed in righteousness and, and we're getting ourselves readied to be married to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual washing and cleansing that happens and robing in righteousness. In fact, there's even a practical side of this, uh, very practical. Uh, would you keep your finger here and go with me to Romans chapter 13? Uh, it's in the New Testament, Acts, and then Romans, right after the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. And um, I'd like to show you this, this interesting description of clothing. Uh, it's Acts, uh, pardon me, Romans 13, where Paul, the apostle, is telling the Romans, hey, you gotta be careful what you're wearing. 
And this is a spiritual conversation. It's Romans 13, verse 11. And there it says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Put off your night clothes, it says, and put on the clothes, the armor of light, the light, the day, day clothes. You know, some, some Christians I, I'm afraid are still walking around trying to live their victorious life, but they're, they're still wrapped up in sin. And there's no real repentance of sin. So they're still wearing their pajamas and they haven't really been regenerated or saved, but they think they're saved because they're trying to live that victorious Christian life that Oprah and Joel Osteen and others are trying to you know, promote. It's just not really the, the gospel message. You gotta repent of your sins, confess your sinfulness, and then say, Lord, would you please forgive me? And, and, and then acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose up from the grave. And when you acknowledge that and confess that, guess what? That's the miraculous saving work of Christ. When he died on the cross, he, he then you know, robes you in his righteousness. He declares you righteous. You didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, it's what he does. And it's such a glorious thing. We're saved by his grace through faith, not of our works, it says. So once you're saved, the problem is you and I, we tend to go back to those works of darkness. And I, I, I sort of sense Paul saying, man, this is kind of a daily thing. So practically, positionally in Christ, we're saved by his grace. He's robed us in righteousness. But practically for real, in real life, we touch sin every single day. You sort of see that likened uh, in when Peter suddenly realized Jesus was washing the disciples' stinky feet. And all the disciples were sitting around, yeah, could you get between the big toe? Yeah, there, thank you. You know, Jesus, nobody, finally he gets to Peter and Peter's like, Lord, what are you doing? You know, I should be washing your feet. Stop it. And Jesus said, Peter, unless you, know, you, unless you allow me to wash your feet, you can have no part with me. Well then wash my whole head and my hands also. And be like, total shower, Lord. Poor Peter, he's always just saying stupid stuff. And she said, no, Peter, you only need to have your feet washed because your feet are dirty. Your head and your hands are not dirty. There's a picture there, see, because I believe when you're saved, you're positionally in Christ saved for all eternity. Jesus died once for all your sins. Thank the Lord for that. But practically, you and I are walking through this life and daily we find ourselves touching this earth, doing sinful things, and our feet get dirty, if you would. And that's the daily cleansing. You know, by the way, that's one thing the water of the word does. The water of the word doesn't save you from hell. It's not that kind of washing. The water of the word is that daily cleansing that you and I need. That's why you should be in the word often. Uh, to let the water of the word do its work. Jesus, his blood is what washed us once and for all so that we could go to heaven. Are you seeing the difference there? There's sort of an eternal washing and cleansing that's salvation, but there's also sort of a practical daily washing that we need to be cognitive of. And that's why we, we need to continually kind of confess our sins. When you, when you make a sin and you realize, ooh, I did something I shouldn't have you know, done. You can say, oh Lord, 1 John chapter 1, verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, you know, to become the bride of Christ, you gotta be saved. Positionally in Christ, that's the key. But you should be aware of what kind of bride you are. Are you, are you daily putting on Jesus Christ? That's what Paul says here. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, this is an important thing because some of you, have you ever noticed there's some people that have such uh, kind of a, I'm gonna call it a pseudo integrity. And I call it a pseudo integrity because I don't have a better name for it, but it's the people that say, well, I don't know if I like this, Brett, that you're, you know, it says put on Jesus Christ. What if I don't really feel like being happy today? What if, I, what if in my heart of hearts, I just feel grouchy? I'm not gonna walk around with a fake smile on my face. 
That's not honest and that's not integrity. Pseudo integrity, um, totally lame. Bible teaches against that. You know, you know, some of you might say, well, Brad, if, what are you saying? If you're grouchy, you're supposed to fake it? Fake it? Yep, pretty much. Uh, you're just being a put on. Yep, put ye on, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly what the Bible says, put, it, put on. Um, see, it's funny because uh, we all do it to a degree. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you just gotta put on a happy face? Uh, if you're going to work, uh, you know, and you're supposed to be nice, uh, you can't just say, sorry, I'm in a really bad mood, so I'm gonna be a total grouch today. Uh, tough bananas, good luck. Well, they might say, well, you're also out of a job today. You know, especially if you work at Touch Pros, man, you gotta be on fire all the time. Hey, how you doing? You know, it's like, you gotta really, really be on, you know. Tiring watching those kids. But you know what's important is for you and me to realize that, man, that's kind of what we're supposed to do. It's, you know, now by the way, there's, there's some interesting things about this, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's a decision that you and I make. And it's one that I hope that you guys are willing to make. Um, you see, uh, the idea of being a put on, put ye on Jesus Christ, it has to do with what you're wearing, but it also has to do with how your face looks. And that's point number two. Number one, what are you wearing? Hopefully you're robed in righteousness. Hopefully you're saved first and foremost, robed in righteousness. But then on a daily level as Christians, we need to be aware, am I putting on the Lord Jesus Christ or am I mostly just letting my own real face happen? See, this is, this is where we go to the face. What does your face look like? Um, as you read the Bible, as it turns out, a vibrant, shining, happy face is the mark of one who's been in God's presence. Did you know that? People that spend time with the Lord in his word, worshiping him in spirit and in truth, there's a remnant on their face that tends to shine through. And I've seen this, and you have too. There's people that just have radiant faces. Um, do you remember the story after speaking to God there on the mountain, Moses, his face glowed so brightly that he had to cover his face with a veil. Now this is a great story, by the way, in the Old Testament. Remember he, got, he, he came down from the mountain, He's glowing, totally glowing. And people are like, oh, Moses is glowing. So Moses puts a bag over his face. Now in the Old Testament, he puts this bag over his face and, and the Old Testament sort of leaves you to think that, well, Moses just didn't want to offend everybody with how, face, how his face was just so on fire and bright and beautiful. So I'm gonna just cover it up so you're not all offended by my beauty. That's kind of the way it sort of comes out in the Old Testament. But in 2 Corinthians, as it turns out, the Bible tells us the other side of that story. It was actually that Moses didn't want people to see that his face was starting to diminish in its glow. So do you remember what he'd do to get it to glow, to get recharged? He'd go back into the tabernacle of the Lord and get recharged and come out glowing. Oh, I'm bright. I'll put on a bag just out of respect for y'all. Um, you know, that's what he did. The New Testament says uh, no. Um, in fact, if you don't believe all that stuff I just said, it's Exodus chapter 38 uh, that tells us in verse eight, you know, or pardon me. Um, oh, that's not it. Well, you can look it up. <laughs> um, no, it's Exodus 34. That's what it is. Exodus 34 verses 33 through 35 talks about Moses' face uh, glowing. And, and, then, and then it's funny because, uh, um, you know, the New Testament section is 2 Corinthians 3.13 through 16. Tells us that his face started to diminish and that's why he put the bag on. But the point of the story is Moses was a guy who loved to be in the presence of God. And because of that, his face would glow. And the further away of time that he was away from God, that glow would start to diminish. I think we can learn something about that. I think there's a reason why God wants his people to gather like this, where we go to church and worship Jesus with song and, and with the word of God and fellowship one with another. There's something about it that a person who's been in God's presence with his church, not just alone, you can do it alone too, but there's something about being gathering together in a gathering where you're actually being a part of something like this the Lord tends to brighten you up. Your face starts to glow spiritually. Um, remember Stephen? Stephen there, as he was preaching that powerful sermon in Acts chapter seven, 
Um, they, they began to gnash their teeth against him and be angry. It's like a Portlander, you know, that yells at you for being a Christian or someone who's anti-abortion. You know, these people scream at you now and, and it's just, ah, that's what they were doing to, to poor Stephen. But what happened as he just sat there as they were throwing rocks at him to kill him? His face, the Bible said, started to grow, glow as bright as could be. And it's not even like he acknowledged the rocks that were hitting him in pain. He just glowed brighter and brighter as they martyred the first Christian martyr of the Christian church, Stephen. An amazing story there in Acts chapter seven. But God is in the business, listen to this, of changing your face. He wants to, to, uh, to change the way your face shines. You know, um, our goal is not to make our faces radiant. Um, not even Jesus did that, by the way. Um, Jesus was like everybody else, remember? Uh, they had to say, uh, how do we know which one's Jesus? Well, who's the one that's glowing? That's not what they said. That's Judas was saying, let's look for the most glowy guy in the room. You know, he's your one you're looking for. But instead he said, no, I got to identify him with a betrayal of a kiss. Remember that? So even Jesus didn't make himself glow. But Matthew says Jesus' appearance was changed not. Jesus changed his appearance not, but... Um, and Moses, by the way, didn't even know his face was shining at first. I love that. They had, he had to come down the mountain and people were like, oh, he's like, what? He didn't even know. I love that. That's a person who's just been in God's presence. So our goal is not to have the fake frozen, welcome to Athey Creek, ding, you know, the little sparkle of teeth, you know? Like that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. This fake Christian sort of, you know, poser smile thing. People see through that, um, you know, that, that, that's not cool. But there's something about the person who just truly does seek the Lord in prayer and in worship and in his word and in fellowship. You find your face, you know, sort of washed. He wipes away the tears. He mops away the, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, perspiration off your forehead. He softens our furrowed brow. Uh, when we spend time in his presence, you just start to sense a peace and your face starts to show it. Um, Charles Adam Spurgeon, you hear me quote him a lot because he was a colorful, powerful preacher of the gospel. But he, he put it this, this way, he said, wash your face every morning in a bath of praise. He acknowledged that by just praising the Lord, there was sort of a washing of your face that was acknowledged. Um, what does the Bible say about this? You know, this idea of your face. There's some scriptures. You can jot them down if you're kind of quick. Number one, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, listen to this. It says, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Same thing we're talking about. Uh, beholding our face, in the mirror, the glory of the Lord being transformed. I love that. Uh, Proverbs 15, 13 says, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. I love that. First Peter 3, 34 says this, do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of your hair, the wearing of gold or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, which with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What is very precious in the sight of God? A person who's adorned their heart more than their body externally. See, that's the problem. You know, people get dressed to the nines and go to church, but I wonder how much time they spent washing their spiritual face and wearing their spiritual garments and making sure they looked presentable spiritually because that's what the Lord looks at. The world looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the, at the heart. Um, Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma back in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And he's kind of an interesting missionary. He's got quite a story if you look him up. His name is Adoniram Judson. But he was so burning with the desire to preach the gospel, before he even learned the language of the people in Burma, he would just walk up and people would just run up to him and embrace him. And uh, they never knew, he never really knew why. They would just, these, these Burmese people, as a missionary, just walk up and they would hug him. And, and by the way, any white man, he was from Massachusetts, but any white man they were very suspicious of because the British and there was a, a, a war there. Um, but that's a long story. But they were normally suspicious of a white guy. 
But these people just go up and hug this guy and, and they loved him. And as it turns out, um, the man, uh, one of the men uh, later said that they thought he was an angel. They all thought he was an angel when he first came to, to Burma. And the, the reason why is because they said his face sort of shined and he saw a brightness that made them want whatever he had, they wanted for themselves. They wanted to have the same glow as this missionary. Before he even knew the language, people were wanting what he had to offer and that was Jesus. By the way, that's how my dad became a Christian. My mom uh, became a Christian by just reading the Bible. Nobody led her to Christ. She just read the scriptures and was in a place in her life of real darkness, uh, even suicidal. And after reading the scriptures, she accepted Christ uh, just by reading you know, Romans where it says, you know, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. And my mom wanted that. So she accepts the Lord and my dad comes home from work and starts to notice that she is glowing. It, it took him 30 days. Every night he'd come home from work and she was just glowing brighter and brighter and brighter. And finally, he just said to my mom, whatever you have, I've got to have the same thing. And my mom said, well, I have Jesus. And my dad accepted the Lord and became a believer. And anybody that knows my mom, she still glows like that today. Like she has a very glowy, if you see pic, pictures of her before, she's, she was like a, looked like a model, like a movie star. Um, but she kind of had a little bit of a, a darkness like on her face that was not there. But then you see the pictures after she was saved, um, she just started to just glow. There's some people that have that. Um, I love that, that just there's, a, there's sometimes the spiritual glow starts to show on the outside. Now, some of you are like, Fred, I ain't never gonna glow. I just don't have a glow face. Um, but we're not talking as much literally. I think sometimes even the most hardcore, grouchy looking dude can kind of start to have a glow if he spends enough time with Christ. But you gotta be aware of your face. By the way, did you know they had a nickname for that missionary Judson that I told you about? They called him Mr. Glory Face. That's what they called him because he shines so brightly. Um, but you, you say, Brett, I don't know about all this putting on Jesus and how does this all work out? Well, as it turns out, there's actually some physiological truth here that's just scientific. You know, when you smile, science has proven your brain releases just by the muscular movement of smiling. Your, your brain releases tiny molecules called uh, neuropeptides. And uh, as it turns out, neuropeptides help fight off stress. And other neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins uh, come into play too. When you smile, the endorphins act as a mild pain reliever. Uh, and the serotonin is, works as some, somewhat of an antidepressant. So science says when you just choose to smile, when you're feeling grouchy, sad, in pain, just smile, and there's gonna be physiological stuff going on. I believe the Lord not only made it physiological, scientifically, but also there's a spiritual thing about when a person says, I'm gonna put on Jesus Christ, even though it seems like a put on, even though it seems fake. So the answer is fake it till you make it. When you're feeling bummed and blue, one of the things you really should do is start smiling and being cheerful, like choosing to be cheerful because there's scientifically things that are gonna kick into gear, but there's also spiritually things that happen to the person that uh, lets their face start to radiate the joy of the Lord. Some people might say, well, that's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Well, you're gonna be a grouch the rest of your life. Good luck with that. So uh, the idea is, uh, what, is your, what are you wearing? You gotta put on the Lord Jesus Christ, put off the night clothes and put on the armor of light and put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13. What does your face look like? I hope it's vibrant, shining. And be aware of your face. Look in the biblical mirror and say, Lord, is my face grouchy? And let the spirit talk to you through the word of God that you not have this fake uh, frozen life behind your face. You want a real vibrant Jesus face. That's the goal for everyone. But the most sensitive topic here is how do you smell? Do you stink? <laughs> I remember working at a job site with my dad. I think I mentioned this a few years ago and it was kind of interesting because I'd never heard of such a thing. I was like a junior hire, you know, and my dad said, today, Brett, I'm going to have a tough conversation with a guy. I said, well, what, what is it, what's it about? He said, well, the problem is this guy is one of my best workers. He, he uh, you know, is a builder, framer, 
works really good. The problem is you can smell him like a hundred yards away. Like this guy just, uh, just really stinks. And my dad said, you know, and he taught me about, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And my dad was gonna help this guy and he was gonna have a hard talk with him. So sure enough, at the end of the day, uh, you know, everybody clocked out, everybody's wrapping up their, you know, power cords and, and putting away the skill saws and all this stuff. And we were all wrapping it up. And my dad just pulled the guy over. And, um, and I, I, I saw my dad just talking. I didn't hear what he said, but I knew what it was about. And I was watching the guy's face and I could see his whole, you know, posture just sort of droop and sort of look like I could tell he was, it was like a wound to this guy. And, um, and on the way home, I said, dad, how'd your conversation go? And he said, we'll see. And the next day, I'm not kidding. That dude came into, came into work smelling like petunias. Like, I don't know what my dad told him, but it totally worked, man. The guy took a shower. I'm sure he figured out like, you know, how to, you know, put on deodorant, something that I don't think that anybody ever talked to him about. But um, nobody wanted to work next to him. Nobody wanted to even talk to the guy. But man, once, once he started kind of caring about his personal hygiene, we all were like, man, he smells better than anybody else out here. Like, like it was really, ah, here comes, I won't say his name, but uh, yeah. Did you know there's spiritually people like this? There's people that never got the memo that, that you can spiritually stink. And what is it that makes you stink? Sin. Did you know that sin stinks? It really does. You know, uh, the, the interesting thing about, you know, this idea of sin, uh, you know, stinking and what have you, is, um, is, you know, oftentimes the person who stinks doesn't really know that he stinks. Um, and it's, it's an interesting thing. Or, or another thing about smelling um, is a lot of times people, they smell everybody else, but they don't realize that it's, the, you're the one who actually stinks. Have you ever walked around with someone and talked about the world? Oh, I can't believe Donald Trump or I can't believe Joseph Biden. Oh, this world stinks and this is stink, stink, stink. And, and, and you're kind of like, no, kind of you stink. <laughs> There's an old saying, the whole world stinks when you have Limburger cheese on your mustache. <laughs> and for those of you that have mustaches, you know that's true. If you got something on your mustache that stinks, the whole world, it stinks in here. What is that? It's your, it's your mustache. There's a lot of Christians walking around, everything stinks, it stinks, but sin stinks. And one of the things you gotta do if you wanna get rid of the sin and the stink is you gotta do, go back to the first things we talked about is be washed. You gotta take a bath spiritually and you do that by the, the, the cleansing blood of our savior, Jesus Christ. And as you become more and more of a sinner, then guess what? You can go to the cross and repent of your sin and the Lord will forgive you and wash you. First, he washes you in his blood to save you for all eternity, but daily he washes you in the word of God to, to keep you clean, like, like he did with Peter there that day when he washed the disciples' feet. You know, it's an interesting thing about smell and stuff like that, but um, I love the story, you know, in John chapter 12 where the disciples were in that house. And this woman comes up and she breaks this box of a costly ointment. And she pours it on Jesus's feet and then wipes his feet with her hair. Well, Judas Iscariot, he said, oh, and he said this to himself, like he was just thinking it. Boy, we could have sold that, it, you know, because that costly ointment, as it turns out, it was kind of like her dowry. This is what these women would have and they'd save it up for, for when they would be married. And this particular ointment would cost about a year's salary. So it was very expensive. Whatever a year's salary is today, it'd be the equivalent back then. So this woman takes a year's salary and breaks it and pours it on Jesus' feet. And that's why Judas said, huh, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. She wasted it. Well, Jesus, this is what the Bible says, knowing that he was a thief. He was the, like the disciple treasurer, but he liked to skim some money. And he was, he was really thinking about his, I could have skimmed some money off of that for myself. Knowing he was a thief, he said, leave her alone. <laughs> Interesting how, um, who, who is it that criticizes worship? Some people might say, well, you guys spend too much time singing songs to Jesus. I'm more into teaching. Don't be criticizing worship. That's a Judas Iscariot kind of move. 
I wouldn't want to do that. But, but what I love about that story is the worshiper, this woman, she wipes his feet with her hair. And the Bible says there in John chapter 12, the whole house was filled with the fragrance. Who smelled the best in the house? Probably Jesus, because that very expensive ointment was put on his feet. But who, who smelled second best in that house? Well, it wasn't Judas. It was the woman who had wiped his feet with her hair in an act of worship. You see, I believe that one of the best ways to take on the fragrance of Christ is to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And, and when you're a sinner, you're gonna take on real stink. And that's why you and I need to be washed. We need to make ourselves available to the washing of the word, to the water of the word. Now you are clean by the word I've spoken to you. He washes his bride in the water of the word. Let's be washed so that we don't stink. But as we worship Christ, guess what? We take on his fragrance. It's a great story. And I think that the worshiper oftentimes has a fragrance about them. I've never met a person who loves to worship Jesus that I didn't like. There's just a fragrance spiritually around a person who's a Jesus lover. And I, I, I need to make myself be that. I, I, it doesn't come naturally to just wanna be a worshiper. Some of you say, well, Brett, you're, you like to do worship. You, you do music, you like worship. It's not my natural proclivity is to be a worshiper. Um, I like music, but to worship Christ, sometimes that's work for me. But I've found that it's the most well-paying uh, the best payoff of anything you can do is we'll be a worshiper of Jesus and you'll start to take on his fragrance. What are you wearing? What does your face look like? How do you smell? These are just a few questions you should ask yourself because guess what? You're the bride of Christ and someday you will stand before the Lord as the bride. Jeremiah, his words here is, you've forgotten to wear a dress. Uh, and, and you're not wearing any ornaments. You're just, you know, you're, there you are eating your cherry bonbons with your hair up in curlers and you're still wearing your, your onesie fuzzy PJ thing. What do they call that though? It's like, whatever, you're, you're, there you are and, and curlers and you're just kind of like, okay, Lord, whenever you want to come. But my people have forgotten me days without number. That's what the indictment was against the Jews. They had forgotten the Lord and said, we can look however we want. We don't care how we look or how we smell, or what our faces look like. By the way, the face thing, that's something Jeremiah talked about twice in chapter one. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. Why? Because their faces had forgotten the Lord and their faces were ugly, mean-spirited, hateful faces. And Jeremiah was told, don't be afraid of their faces. That's one of the good reasons we as believers should be concerned about our face. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number. Remember the Lord every day. Remember to look good for Jesus, if you would, that your heart is right, that you're robed in his righteousness, and that you take a bath spiritually once in a while so that you might be pleasing. That's why you exist, to please the Father. Would you bow your heads, please, with me? I'm gonna have Joey come up and just lead us in one final song, Brooke. Um, but I'd love for you to um, close this service out and just, just consider your own spiritual walk and what you're wearing. How does your face look? Have you forgotten that you're supposed to look good spiritually for the Lord daily? And the, the evil of the people of Israel during Jeremiah's time is they had forgotten the Lord to look good for him days without end. And maybe it's been a long time since you even thought about prayer or worship or reading your Bible or confession of sin that you might be washed. But maybe all you gotta do tonight is just confess that fault and the Lord is faithful and just to cleanse you and forgive you and robe you and you can start brand new right now and be that pleasing bride of Christ right this minute by just you doing the work right now to say, Lord, forgive me, wash me. Would you help me to take on your fragrance and not the fragrance of my sin. The Lord wants to do that tonight. If you're not a Christian, if you never accepted Christ, the gospel message is this, you're a sinner and you deserve death and hell. And we all are there, we've all done that. But the good news is that the Lord says, I will forgive you of your sins. That's why God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That comes through Jesus.
The way you're saved is the, the work that he did. Nothing you can do to earn it. <clears throat> but the way of salvation is to confess with your mouth and believe what Jesus did on the cross. Repent of your sins, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I do deserve death and hell, but I pray you'd forgive me. And I believe, just say this, you and the Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose up from the grave and that I'm forgiven. And if you do that from your heart, Romans 10, nine and 10 says, you're saved. Brad, is it really that simple? Remember, grace is free, but it came at a massive cost. And Jesus did all that. He did all the work that you might have salvation through Christ. Lord, how I pray that people would just come to you first, if they're not saved at all, that they be cleansed and washed, saved, robed in your righteousness, Lord, repenting of sins. But I also pray for your church, Lord, that we wouldn't just be all about ourselves and how we're feeling and what we're thinking. Lord, what are you thinking about us? Are we a pleasing bride before your sight? Do we look good the way you want us to? Or have we been dabbling in sinful things and sinful attitudes, maybe for a long time and haven't even really confessed our sins and we still don't even realize that we look bad and we stink. But I pray that you'd wash your church, Lord, and that we'd be a beautiful bride ready for when you return. Lord, would you wash us like Ephesians 5 says? So may this word go into our hearts, Lord, and not just be like the person who looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like. But I pray that we do work. Whatever we see from your word tonight, that we'd work on those things that are needed and that you'd help us to be doers of your word. So bless each one of us, Lord, tonight. Thank you for meeting us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Brett.
we're so thankful for salvation. Lord, we're thankful for your mercy and for your grace. So Lord, we leave this place and our prayer is that we don't forget what we've talked about, what we've studied tonight. But we would go out into the world and we would just know, Lord, that you have saved us from our sin. You have rescued us. Lord, we're so thankful for that truth. We love you so much. Go before us now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. You are dismissed. <laughs>